say good morning everybody whether it's your first time whether it's your hundredth time whether it's your thousandth time whether you're in the building or you're at home we welcome you to Swallowness Baptist Church to be with us and to be with our Lord God our Father as we sing and as we listen to his words today so as I was preparing for today's service and leading the service today a verse came to my mind so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you in, with my righteous right hand. All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. For, though, for those who oppose you will be nothing and will perish. Though you search for your enemies, you will, will not find them. Those who wage war against you will be nothing at all. When we've got God with us, when God is for us, nothing <coughs> can be against us. Nothing can break that bond. Nothing can tear us down. So as we go through our worship today and, and we sing those songs, keep that in mind that you have an almighty God a God who loves you, a God who wants to look after you and take care of you. So I'd just like to open up in a prayer today and just say, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you that you are here amidst, amidst us now, with us, in our hearts, in our minds, that you let us feel your presence here today. Heavenly Father, let's have a real connection with you. Whether we feel that we are far away from you, whether we fear that we are going through situations that seem impossible, Lord, let us hold on to you. Let us know that you are always here with us. So Heavenly Father, we ask that you show your presence here today, that you rush over us like a wind that you fill us with the Holy Spirit from the top of our heads to our toes so that we may go out of here feeling refreshed, renewed and restored in your love. Just a few notices for the week then. Uh, tomorrow the ladies are meeting down here at church at half past one and on Tuesday the ARC playgroup from 10 to 11.30 and then from one until 2.30. The lunch club on uh, Thursday the 1st of February. Where has January gone I ask myself? But you know, don't wait for anybody does it time? Uh, so please come and join us if you'd like to, uh, to just have a, an hour or so with us uh, eating. Uh, having a laugh uh, and just enjoying being together. Saturday the 3rd of February, it's a prayer meeting, um, the, the one, the first uh, Sunday, uh, Saturday in the month, we have the prayer meeting down here at church and that's at 9.30. And then Sunday, next Sunday, the 4th of February, it's our, our church meeting at 12 o'clock. Now all church members should have received an agenda by now. David's emailed them out this last week, but if you haven't received one, could you just please get in touch with him? Also, uh, as I mentioned a couple of times, I think um, in the last couple of weeks, the church members meeting is normally for church members, 
but we would like to invite any non-members along um, who support the church and the leadership and who feel very much part of our church family and that this is their home church. There's quite a lot of stuff that needs discussing, so we'd like more people to be involved. So please do come. It's uh, after the service, so there's, you can have a cup of tea and then we'll get started. Uh, Tuesday the 13th, it's uh, the Lent Supper. That's the first... Uh, well, it's the... Uh, Shrove Tuesday. We're not calling it a pancake party because it isn't. <laughs> it's a Lent supper. Uh, we've got an Italian theme running through it this year, which uh, is a little bit different. There's a sign-up sheet at the back, if you can perhaps, uh, over the next couple of weeks, just to give us an idea of how much food we need to get. Um, it starts at six o'clock. So it's an all-age thing. Please invite family and friends. I think we're, uh, we've done these uh, kind of things before, and they're always very good fun. We've got a few uh, quizzes and things lined up, so please do uh, invite everyone. We're asking for a donation of three pounds. Brad, have I just said that? No. <laughs> I just thought, déjà vu. You know, a donation of three pound for adults and a pound for children, just to cover the cost of the food. So please do sign up in the next couple of weeks. Morning, Philip. Morning, Karen. I've been here. <laughs> Moving swiftly on. <laughs> uh, throughout the week, I don't know whether people are aware, but our church is used quite a lot now, which is absolutely wonderful for various activities and events. The only problem we sometimes have is with the parking. Uh, you can imagine it's at the end, the, the junction is a bit difficult to get in and out of. So can you please be aware, if you're coming to any event, to park um, carefully, let's just say, that we're not uh, upsetting any of the residents on the street and also not causing uh, a problem for cars getting in and out. So I think we'd noticed that an ambulance was trying to get down. It was okay, but it's a bit tight. So can you just please be aware when you're parking? Uh, newsletters are out. Thanks very much to Janet and Chris again for doing this. There are loads at the back. You've probably already got one. Please do take them. Family, friends. Uh, all the Easter events are in there as well, which is very important. I'll point you to the page. I will be mentioning, obviously, in the next few weeks what's happening, but please do keep it on hand. And of course, new website, Facebook page are all regularly updated. And then, of course, there's the phone if you want to give us a ring. Malcolm, would you like to come and read the scripture for this morning, please? We're in the Gospel of Mark. If you're using the Church Bible, it's page 851, Mark chapter 14, and reading from verse 53. Mark 14 from verse 53, page 851. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another, not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. 
And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained remained silent and made no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Yeah, good morning, everybody. Uh, Welcome to those on the tube. Uh, Welcome to those in real life as well. Not that you're not in real life if you're watching on YouTube. Obviously, you are real. I do appreciate that. See, this is what happens if I don't write stuff down and I just improvise. I talk a load of nonsense. Um, yes, it is, it is great, to, uh, great to be able to speak to you this morning. I'm Rob, in case you, you don't know who I am. Um, and thank you, Malcolm, for, for reading those words of the passage we're going to be having a look at this morning. Uh, we, uh, we started this series, this Son of series, by which is looking at some of the variations of um, titles, names that Jesus is known as in Mark's Gospel um, at the start of the year. It was only two weeks after Christmas Eve when I stood up and I introduced what we were going to be talking about. And it's really quite incredible to me, like Carol said, that we're now only a couple of weeks away from the start of Lent. Um, It does seem as if January has just evaporated. We've only got this week... And one more week uh, of this son of to go. Those of you that have been ticking them off in your brain as you've been going along will work out that we've got today, son of the blessed one. And next week is the son of God. Uh, And then the series is over. We've got a cafe church on February the 11th. So date for your brains and your diaries. And then our thoughts will turn to the cross from uh, the 18th of February when we hit Lent. But actually, um, listening to that passage, our thoughts turn to the cross this morning. Uh, The passage that we're considering, at least for quite a lot of this sermon, takes place at Jesus' trial. And I think, in a way, that's probably very fitting that we're thinking about the cross today. Um, Jesus only really makes sense as a whole, doesn't it? A little bit like, Olivia, could you put up the, the amazing picture, the main picture? A little bit like that, that picture of Jesus there. It only makes sense when you sort of stand back from it. If you saw it really, really up close, it would be weird little blobs of colour um, and not very, not very helpful. Jesus only makes sense as a whole. And what I mean by that is without his death on the cross, the cute little baby in the manger is totally meaningless. Uh, without the resurrection... The death on the cross is just a tragedy. Uh, And everything needs to sort of be taken and understood together before you can really see the whole. Just like being the son of man, without being the son of man and the son of God, the fact that Jesus is the son of David is interesting, but it's sort of theologically unsatisfying. 
So all of those things kind of need to be taken together to make sense. Okay, so keep your uh, fingers in the passage that we were at. It's on page 851 if you've already closed your Bibles. But before we dive into it and have a bit of a, uh, an explore, let's, let's pray again, shall we, for, for God to help open our eyes and our hearts and our ears. Almighty Father God, we thank you so much for your word. What uh, an incredible blessing it is to have at our fingertips. And we thank you so much for the testimony of the incredible life and death of Jesus. Father God, I pray that you speak to every one of us this morning. Uh, I pray that all of our faith will be strengthened. Our trust in the Lord Jesus' death for us will be enhanced. And I pray that we will all stand firm in this world as Christ's disciples, trusting in him, trusting in his death, and trusting in his resurrection. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. At the beginning of the new year, various organisations release data looking at all sorts of things, they, they, you know, these top ten lists and stuff. And so, for example, I managed to find out by Googling what the most downloaded app of 2023 was. Now, for those of you that don't know what an app is, you just ignore this. Alice, you're our token young person. What do you reckon the most downloaded app of 2023 was? It was? She's good, isn't she? That's why she's young. That's, that's proof. <laughs> Well, anyone younger's gone. Oh, I could have asked Alex. Yeah, sorry. I forgot you existed. (laughs) The most popular film of 2023. Any ideas? Barbie. It was Barbie. And the most, the UK's most watched TV programme. The sort of the news, which news event? The coronation of King Charles III. Well done. It's all very fascinating and fun to look back on, isn't it? But there are also darker statistics out there wrapping up sort of what goes on in the world. And one of the summaries that I saw um, of last year focused on the persecution faced by the global church. Last year there were 5,621 Christian martyrs who died for their faith all around the world, the majority of which was in Nigeria. There were also very high levels of violence faced by Christians in many other countries around the world. Finishing off the top five, Pakistan, Cameroon, India, Burkina Faso. But in other categories, over 2,000 churches down towards the bottom were attacked or forcibly closed. The majority, about just over half, were in China. And the statistics and categories go on and on, and they are pretty heartbreaking. The largest category total was displacement. You can see it one up from the bottom, with one. 124,310 Christians forced to leave their homes or go into hiding for their faith. Myanmar, 
by the way, comprised 80% of internal displacements, 60% of refugees. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12 teaches us that if one member suffers, we all suffer together. When we stop to think about these statistics, about what our brothers and sisters are going through for their faith, while we sit in comfortable swallow nest, our minds go to the question, well, how, how, you know, how do we make sense of that? What can be done about that? How do we respond? And I know some of us give to charities, but those of us that give to charities know that money is not necessarily the answer. One good and right response is to cry out to God in prayer, isn't it? Lord, have mercy. We, we pray for people. That's what we can do. We can pray for people in these places. Sometimes it's the only thing that we can do. But we mustn't kid ourselves into thinking that prayer is some sort of pathetic option when all else fails. Oh, well, we can't really do anything else, so let's just pray about it. You know, if we honestly and truly believe in a living, listening and powerful God, then prayer is surely much, much more powerful than pennies. Well, look, these thoughts have been sort of going through my mind while I've been thinking about my message today as we consider a passage when we see the Lord Jesus himself being persecuted. Because this passage in Mark is the start of Christ's great suffering, events that would lead to his death. He's just been arrested as a criminal and he is brought before the Sanhedrin. And as we read this passage, you can feel the, the perversion of justice. The dice were loaded against Jesus right from the beginning, and it allows a gross miscarriage of justice to occur. So let's have a look at what happened when Jesus went on trial. The first stage is that the case was prejudged before it even started. Have a look at verse 55. Malcolm read for us earlier on. Now, the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. The case has been prejudged before it's even started. Normal practice is for a charge to be brought against somebody, isn't it? And then evidence to be heard in the court, and then if the evidence is substantiated, then and only then a judgment is passed. But here, the judge passes the death sentence first, and then they try to find evidence to justify the sentence. And it's so important to realise that these religious leaders were absolutely not neutral to Jesus. They had been plotting to trap and kill him as far back as chapter 3, verse 6, where we saw this. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. They've been plotting to trap and kill him for ages. What a sham. What a ridiculous sham the authority of these leaders is. They have got no real desire to know anything of the truth. They are just wanting their own biases to be confirmed. So firstly, we see that the, um, 
it, the case was prejudged. And secondly, we see that false witnesses are employed. Have a look at verse 56. Many bore false witness against him, but their testimony didn't agree. That's the obvious next stage, isn't it? If you're wanting to find evidence to convict somebody in a prejudged case, then you will take false witnesses. And many came forward, it says, but they did not agree. You saw, we heard one of those falsehoods when Malcolm read verse 58. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. Well, that testimony does have a ring of truth about it, if you've read the Bible. It does have a ring of truth about it, though. You know, Jesus did say that the temple would be destroyed and that he could raise it in three days. But crucially, if you actually go into John, John chapter 2, you'll notice that Jesus never claimed that he would destroy the temple. He said the temple would be destroyed. Not that he would destroy it. So it's not really very surprising that here in Mark 14, the witness's testimony doesn't agree when they're lying about what they heard. The case is prejudged. There are false witnesses being heard. And thirdly, we see the unjust condemnation. The next priest stands up and asks Jesus uh, about the false testimony. Jesus remains silent. So the high priest asks the direct question in verse 61. Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Well, what the high priest is asking here is, are you the Son of God? But he's wrapping it up in roundabout, mealy-mouthed language as a way of not pronouncing the name of God. To actually, to show reverence to God. But that's really ironic, isn't it, when you think about it? He didn't want to pronounce the name of God out of reverence to God, but he was actually very happy to find false evidence to put someone to death. It's false piety of these religious leaders, hypocrisy. And in answer, Jesus says, I am. I am the Son of God. He adds clarification, which helps us understand a little bit what's going on. I am, he says, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, Jesus is combining two Old Testament quotes here, one from Psalm 110 and one from Daniel chapter 7. And I talked about Jan Daniel chapter 7 a few weeks ago. But in Psalm 110, King David has a vision of heaven. And he sees someone greater than himself sitting at the right hand of God, sitting at the right hand of the powerful one. Here in Mark 14, Jesus is saying, I am that one. I am the heavenly king. I am the one that will come on the clouds of heaven as the judge, with all authority and all power. So with these words, Jesus is claiming to be the cosmic king and the judge of the world. 
It's a pretty impressive claim, isn't it? The evidence of which had been displayed throughout his life, but which would supremely be displayed when he died on the cross and then rose to life again three days later. Are you the son of the blessed one, he is asked. I am, says Jesus, and that means I am king, I am judge. And this is something of a little bit of a surprise, I think. Jesus is claiming to be the son of the blessed one, the Messiah. And the reason that I think it's surprising for those gathered in that ridiculous sham of a courtroom is that he couldn't really, at that point, have looked less like a divine king of the universe or a saviour. We would expect a king to wear a crown. We'd expect a messiah, a saviour, to show power and authority. We'd expect the messiah to be adored and celebrated. But here we have the son of the blessed one, alone. Criticised, judged, mocked by those who were meant to love him. So back to the narrative in Mark 14. Jesus has just admitted to being the son of the blessed one. And at this point, I would have expected Caiaphas to have bowed the knee, right? Or at least to have paused just for a few moments and taken some time to think and to weigh up some evidence. I'd have expected him to have start putting one and one together, thinking back to the writing of those prophets that he knew so well, making connections with what was written in the scriptures and what was happening and had been happening in front of his very eyes. But he doesn't. Instead, look at what he does do. Verse 63. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You've heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as worthy of death. There is absolutely no attempt to see whether what Jesus is saying is true. There is no careful consideration or, or deliberation or examination of the evidence. I mean, those people sitting around the round table that traitors spent longer trying to work out what was going on than Caiaphas did. He just leaps onto something to hang his prejudged case on. And it's pretty shocking, isn't it? Not one of them opens their minds to think about what Jesus is saying for themselves. So as I've said, the case is prejudged, the witnesses are false, the condemnation is unjust, and then we have the humiliating mockery. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. Here is Jesus, suffering for who he is. Suffering for being the king and judge. Speaking the truth has led him to being beaten, mocked, degraded, and killed by men in just a few more days. On one hand, that is an awful miscarriage of justice. And in the midst of it, we see who Jesus is, which makes it even more shocking. 
the son of the blessed one, the divine king, the Messiah, the judge. The judge of the end times is being beaten and mocked. But it's no less than Jesus expected. Jesus predicted that exactly this would happen on no less than three occasions. And I said on one hand, it's an awful miscarriage of justice. And it was in the sense that Jesus didn't deserve his punishment. But wonderfully, he took that punishment willingly. Speaking the truth about who he was led him to take, led him to take all of God's righteous anger, which should have been directed at mankind, on himself, so that we don't have to face it in eternity. So as we consider the suffering of Lord Jesus, the King and Judge, we also know that the world around us suffers. Even in 2024, we see humans suffering. We see humans doing evil things in very similar ways to human, the humans that were doing evil in this passage. Jesus faced that suffering at his trial and his death on a cross. Uh, in Advent, I preached on a passage earlier on in Mark when Jesus said that the world would be marked by wars, rumours of wars, nation rising against nation, earthquake and famines. So while we weep rightly about those who face these terrible situations nowadays, we really shouldn't be surprised. But with regards to the Christians facing persecution and suffering, facing daily violence and even the stark choice of give up on Jesus or die, as we sit here in swallow nest and we think, oh, that's, I can't even imagine that. Actually, we can read the Bible and we can consider church history for the last 2,000 years. We should realise that we are the ones that are living in unreality. Throughout history, Christians have been faced with the horrific consequences of following Jesus. Jesus himself predicted that his followers would be handed over to councils and flogged, that brother would betray brother, that children would rebel against parents and put them to death. He spoke of Christians being hated. He spoke of awful sufferings for Christians. And that's exactly what we see around the world. That's what we have seen in the past. That's what we saw with those statistics from last year. And that's what we will see in the future. But this should make us face a question. If actually we're the ones that are just lucky, really, at the moment, not to be facing that, what would you do if it were you? If you were in one of those other places, or if things changed here, The wonderful news is that Jesus isn't a distant leader who says, suffer for me from the safety of some luxury chateau like General Melchit in Blackadder Goes Forth. No, Jesus suffers himself. With Jesus, we have the Son of the Blessed One, the Messiah, the King, the Judge, who goes and suffers before us. That's what we see in his trial and death. Jesus told his followers to stand firm in the face of persecution and suffering. 
And that is one way that we can pray for those brothers and sisters around the world that we considered earlier. We can pray that they would stand firm in their trust in Jesus. That they would not compromise. And the reason that they might be able to do this is because Jesus is the Son of the Blessed One, the Cosmic King and Judge. You can put your faith and your trust in someone like that. And for us here in Comfortable Swallow Nest, we should pray the same thing for each other. That we would all keep going, that we would all keep clinging to him in the face of the suffering that we face in life. Pray that Jesus is all of our visions, all of our focuses. Well, before I hand back over to Julie to uh, lead us into the last song and to wrap up the service, let's pray together, shall we? Blessed Heavenly Father, Lord, teach us to stand firm in Christ. Father God, teach us to remember that he is your Son, the cosmic heavenly King and Judge. Remind us, when we look at the cross, that God loves us and hasn't abandoned us, no matter what it feels like. Father God, we pray that this truth is rooted in our hearts so that when we face suffering, we would not fear, we would not be frightened, but that in our hearts we would set apart Christ as Lord. And whatever we are confronted with in our present, as we face the eternal future with confidence, We pray that we would always be ready and able to give an answer to everyone who asks for the hope that we have. Father God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. Julie. Thank you for bringing that to us and just showing us the importance of praying for one another and that how lucky we are to live in a place so lovely as Yorkshire and Swallownest and that we have the, the, just the knowledge that we're not going to be persecuted, you know, that we are so fortunate that we can go to bed at night in a bed with covers. We know that we've got food and drink and when we turn on the tap the water's going to come out yeah, and we're so lucky. And I think sometimes we just forget how lucky we are. And yeah, just needing to pray. Pray for each other. It's to strengthen each other. And to pray for those other Christians, our brothers and sisters that are around the world, that are being persecuted at this moment. So let us finish with the grace. The grace, the grace of our Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, Christ. And the love, love of God. God and the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. And let God be your vision this week.